Hi, everyone. I'm here with Dan Lloyd, U.S. History teacher, Chris Pearson, World History teacher, and Joel Berkey, U.S. Government teacher. On this special edition of the Jaguar, we're going to be talking about the catastrophic events that took place last Wednesday with the raiding of the Capitol building. First off, thank you all for joining me. And second, would one of you, maybe Mr. Berkey, since you're here representing the government department, like to give an explanation of the of what was actually supposed to take place on Wednesday? Well, on Wednesday, you had what was mostly a largely ceremonial task. Uh, you know, un unfortunately, there was a lot of people led to believe that there was some legal teeth to what was going on. And um, I, uh, I wasn't even paying attention to it. In fact, you know, I I've never watched this proceeding ever because it's, it's, it's not anything that's significant. The last significant event that you would have had to uh, pay attention to in terms of elections was back on December 14th when states certified their electoral votes. Um, at that point, it's pretty much a done deal. This was ceremonial uh, to, for the most part. And uh, unfortunately, some people were fed uh, false information uh, about what was going to happen in the Capitol building on January 6th. And they reacted to it as they did. Um, and we know what happened. I mean, I don't think anybody needs any more, ex any more discussion about what happened. It's more about why it happened, I guess. But that's really it. I mean, Pence was going to read the electoral votes off for president and vice president from each state. Um, Trump led his supporters to believe that Mike Pence had the unilateral authority to change those votes. He didn't. And he's put out a statement saying as much, but although he said, I don't believe I have the authority, it's literally nothing about him believing he has the authority. He flat out did not have the authority. Okay? That's not in the Constitution. And he does not. It's, he's basically reading votes, publicizing it so everybody knows what the votes say. That's all it is. Okay, thank you. And then would someone like to talk about what actually occurred and maybe a couple events that followed? Yeah. Um, I, I guess, uh, so what What actually, so one of the things that, that um, and I, I, you know, I in the, in, it's, it's funny, the parts of the Constitution that you never pay attention to because you don't think that they, that it really is that relevant. Um, so I went back and, and, and reread that part um, of it. And, and what it says is, is that if you have, um, you have to have, if you have any objections, it has to be signed off of from one person from the Senate and one person from the House. Um, Hawley uh, from Missouri, I believe, um, is the Senate. And I don't know who signed off it on the House, but there was a number of members of the House that were um, opposing it. Um, and uh, they, they started to... Um, to, to actually object. And whenever they have a single objection to the, to the electors, there is up to two hours of debate that can go from there. Um, unfortunately, um, also, uh, and, and this is, uh, Mr. Berkey kind of alluded to this, there was a large rally. Um, I will say it, it, it started off as a peaceful protest. Um, it was riled up um, and a lot of people were encouraged. Um, I think that, you know, I think that the events for that day speak for themselves. Crowd got um, riled up. And I think that for the most part, everybody didn't really think that this was going to be anything, including the Capitol Police. Um, and because of that, because people didn't think anything was really going to come of it, what we ended up seeing is, is that 
um, some some of these individuals from this crowd, it, it turned from a peaceful protest to a mob, more or less, a, an insurrection. So these people broke into the house. Um, many members of Congress had to take shelter in the basement below. Some of them are octogenarians. Um, Tammy Duckworth, who's a double amputee, was basically held up in her um, office because, you know, she, the, the difficulty of, of being able to, to get out. So um, that that's that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what what, um, you know, Mr. Berkey, Mr. Pearson's opinion on this is. But, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, who we can have different differing opinions on. He, he ultimately says that they tried to disrupt the process and they failed, which they ultimately did. They reconvened at eight o'clock. And then I think somewhere around four o'clock in the morning, um, they certified the election. They, 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 they certified the results. That's the best of my understanding. So what do you guys think actually led up to this event? And if you can answer this without becoming maybe too political or well, become political, I don't know. I, it's up to you. I mean, how far back do you want to go? As far well, as far as we can go with knowing we have more questions and 30 minutes left. Right. I, I mean there there's there's a lot of pretext to um to, to what happened. Um and, and it goes back years. Uh so I mean anytime you try to explain the immediate situation, then you have to turn around and explain the history of that situation. And it's it's actually quite complicated. Uh, but essentially, you have a fringe group of angry individuals that thought that they could do something to change something that they didn't like. But ultimately, I don't see any way that they possibly could have been successful. Uh, if you're looking for a historical example, um, in 1923 in Italy, uh, you had a group of angry supporters, but there were a lot more of them. Uh uh, march towards the capital of Italy, uh, and while Benito Mussolini was in a meeting with the king of Italy. And without, as far as we know, because we don't know, as without Mussolini's knowledge, apparently, these guys descended on the capital, and out of fear, the king of Italy actually made Mussolini the prime minister uh, of Italy uh, without actually being elected to the position, but the king had the authority to do that. Um, and I don't know if that was the ultimate goal of this, but I mean, there were the 1923 incident had a lot more people involved uh, than, than what was involved on Wednesday. But to me, that's the closest historical example I can think of to something like that. I, yeah, I would, I would say in modern history, there's been nothing like this. And I think it's unclear what the mob was intent was. Um, I think that they, you know, a mob's mentality can change. It's like an organism. It, it, it can, it has a mind of its own. And so while this, this rally, it started as a rally and you had president Trump there and president Trump was telling people things that weren't true. Okay. And this is where, you know, you have to, you have to, as an as a educated person, you have to be able to think critically about information you're given. And I said this in class, and I will say it again. The primary reason that we had public education to begin with originally had to do with making sure that we create citizens who have the ability to know the difference between facts and fiction 
and that they can become, you know, uh, productive members of our democracy. You cannot have a democracy without an educated citizenry. That's why government and history are required courses before you graduate from high school to make sure that you have an understanding of politics of the past and of how your government works. If people would have understood how their government works, they would have realized a lot of things that President Trump was saying were false. Okay, there's a lot of information that was given to people and was, I guess, expanded by other people uh, to corroborate it. You know, and, and the more people who say it, this false information, the more credible it seems, especially when it's coming from government officials. Okay. And, you know, I think you, you, you saw the buildup to this by Trump claiming that he won. You know, now I'm going to say, uh, I've looked into this. There's at least 60 court cases that the president filed, president's uh, campaign filed lawsuits in, in 60 different court jurisdictions across this country. Okay. And with the exception of one, I think, involving a small number of absentee ballots in Pennsylvania, Okay, the president's uh, legal team lost every single one of those cases. They never even were heard. And the reason they were never heard is because you can't conduct a trial without lack, without evidence. There was no evidence. Okay, so you've got 60 different state or federal courts that heard cases over this. Two cases were brought to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rejected both of those cases. Let's take it a step further. We had the president's um, own attorney general conduct an investigation and he came up with no evidence. This is a, a man who was appointed by President Trump. Okay, you also had the Secretary of Homeland Security declared that this election was the most secure election in U.S. history. Okay, and despite all of that evidence and the fact that our election system is decentralized and run by the states, not the federal government, okay, and then inside of each state you have hundreds of local officials who are the ones that conduct these elections. You know, I've said this morning in our class, Mr. Mizzy and Alan Park takes care of that. He's the city clerk. Okay. So in order to do some of the things that have been alleged, all these people would have had to have been in, in conspire, conspiring with each other. And, and I've, you know, in Michigan alone, you're talking over 500 different jurisdictions just in the state of Michigan alone. Okay. Let alone, across the United States. So our election system is way too decentralized for that to happen. And had there been any evidence, I'm sure any court in the country would have entertained, you know, a trial or, or at least to look into it. But there was no evidence that could be presented. And people who to this day maintain that there was, uh, I still have not seen any evidence. That kind of tied into what I was going to ask next, actually. Um, I know you said earlier you kind of wanted to give an explanation of the deep state and all that entails. I don't know if you want to go a little further into. Well, that's uh, this is more of my opinion, but I would argue that the deep state plays into this. And the, there's people out there that believe in the deep state that, that the deep state, if you believe in the deep state, then things like uh, election fraud are realistic. They can happen, okay? It's realistic to assume. When you start, start talking about QAnon, that fits into that, okay? So does um, all of the other 
crazy theories out there. What's the other one besides QAnon? The um, the moon landing. Well, you can say yeah, the moon. Landing. There's there's tons of them. Yes, and and but you can't it, when pressed, you can't come up with evidence to support any of this. But it's all floating out there, and and it's it's part of what I would consider a big lie. And that big lie is, you know, very similar to what, you know, was uh, written by Hitler back in 1925 in Mein Kampf. And the fact that, you know, if you lie enough, if you say it enough, despite all the overwhelming facts, if you continue to tell people that this has happened, even if it hasn't, and even if there are facts to prove it, people will believe it. And the more people that say it, the more true it becomes, even if it's not true. And I think a lot of that goes back to the argument and the belief in the deep state. Okay, that's yeah. That you're 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 bringing up the uh, the the stabbed in the back concept of Germany losing World War One, uh, in which you know Hitler claimed that the reason they lost was not because they were defeated on the battlefield, which is just an outright lie, uh, was that because they were stabbed in the back uh, by politicians and bankers back at home, which is also untrue uh, because it was actually Ludendorff himself who wanted, who who actually uh, was in cahoots with the Social Democratic Party to bring home the army peacefully to put down a communist rebellion back in Berlin. Um, But Hitler couldn't believe that himself and decided instead that the military would never do that it was a conspiracy and a plot uh, to to end the war, and people believed it and still believe it to this day. There, there's an old saying: if you throw crap at the wall long enough, eventually it sticks. Okay, and so you can you can bring out these these uh, accusations about election fraud, and people tend to believe it because they're already preconditioned to believe things about the deep state and about QAnon, and about Antifa, and all of these other groups that exist. Now, the other thing I'm going to bring into this is the element of social media, and the fact that how people behave on social media, uh, the technology that's available on social media to create some of these events, to create these platforms for people to spew their hate, to spew facts that are not true, or, or spew information that may seem factual, but is not true. I mean, you know, you've got people out there taking, you know, President Obama and, you know, uh, making speeches with President Obama that he never made because of technology that's available. Okay, there's all kinds of crazy stuff technologically that is is clouding the facts and people are preconditioned to believe it because of some of these bigger lies that are being told. And I don't know if you're about to make a point there, Mr. Lloyd, but go for it. I was just going to say there's also a major distrust in the media. Uh, As you have media outlets calling out other media outlets saying, don't believe them, we're right. And then you have other media outlets saying, no, they're wrong, we're right. And nobody really has a trustworthy source of media anymore uh, because everything now has become agenda driven for entertainment purposes as opposed to informative purposes. And, and I think to drive all those points to home, I, I think one of the things that, that, and this is something that, again, going back to hit, like social studies education, 
one of the things that Mr. Pearson and Mr. Berkey, myself, and all the wholesale studies department really try to drive home is, is acknowledging your own, your own biases. And we all have them. And, and we are all, we, you, people naturally seek out information that supports our own bias. And if you're not aware of your own biases, if you're not actively seeking out, like digging deeper and trying to find different perspectives, then you, you'll end up in an echo chamber. And, and honestly, unfortunately, that's, that's where we see what will happen Wednesday, where no one, nothing can dislodge you from the, the, the ideas that you have. Yeah, I would, I would add to that. I think one of the things as social studies teachers we try to do is, is get you guys to recognize inherent bias. I think that we also try to get you guys to make sure that if you're going to have an opinion, that it's based on fact and it can be justified. Um, you know, and, and in terms of what Mr. Pearson said, I would agree to a certain point, but I think there's still media out there that's credible. You just have to find it. Okay. And the other thing that goes along with that, unfortunately, is you can't rely on one source of media. Okay. You see something on social media that's being reported is true. Okay. You should check that with a number of different sources and with the technology that we have available today, it's not hard to do. You know, I use audio, I use internet and I use television. And if you can see, I call it the trifecta. If you hear it on your, on your radio source, if you hear it on your internet, so see it on your internet source and you see it on television. And these are three independent news sources and they're all saying the same thing. It's likely to be true. Okay. Um, if you're watching one news source and that's all you watch, that can be a problem because as Mr. Pearson pointed out, we do have a lot of people that, talk about the news, but then spin the news politically, okay? And that's done both for liberals and conservatives in the, the media market that we have today. If your mother tells you she loves you, get another source. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I, I think the biggest takeaway I got from what happened, because, you know, you guys, young kids, you guys have had a tough go of it lately, Okay. And, you know, you, you, you hear from adults, you know, oh, the world's falling apart, the country's falling apart, the planet's falling apart, we got a global pandemic, blah, blah, blah. I think the best thing that came out of this is the fact that it, it proved most of the people in this country that our institutions and the rule of law in America still prevails, okay? We survived that. Like uh, even Mitch McConnell... And, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, who are arch enemies when it comes to the policy debate. Okay. They agreed. You know, they, they were in agreement that, you know, this is not how we conduct things. And, you know, it was refreshing to see that while, you know, we have political differences, you know, we, we all agree that that's not the way you solve your political differences. And the institutions of this country have held up. Okay. And all, all it amounted to in the end was a delay. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to minimize it. There were 60 Capitol Police officers that were injured. One was, was, was killed, okay? And there were four other people killed, I think. One was shot, and a couple of them had some medical emergencies because of the craziness of the situation. But five people were killed. The Capitol building uh, was ransacked and vandalized. And I can tell you, I worked on Capitol Hill for a year and I walked the very halls that those people vandalized and it made me sick to my stomach because if you've been there and I know most Alan Parkers have because of their eighth grade <laughs> trip, okay, 
you walk those halls, you, you, especially in the Capitol building, it's beautiful. It's a work of art. That building is a work of art. It's got statues of all the famous and important people in our history and what they did to create the country that we have today. It's immaculate. And it was really hard for me to watch it get destroyed on TV. Um, they could have done more than they did. I know that. But um, as a person who walked those halls, um, it was sickening to me what, what I was watching. Um, and that is something I'll take away from it. But I think the bigger takeaway is that our institutions survived this. And I think there's a lot of people who are looking at the public discourse that we have in this country and thinking we need to take the burner, lower the burner a little bit. Just because you have a disagreement with somebody doesn't mean you have to hate them. Just because you don't agree with how they want to pursue a policy doesn't mean you should hate them. If the founding fathers of this country had that kind of attitude, we would never have a country today. The Constitutional Convention was nothing but a series of compromises between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. The Federalists and Anti-Federalists of then are the Democrats and the Republicans of today. And I, I really think that I'm hoping that we, as on both sides, learn a lesson about how to conduct civil discourse in this country, okay? Because this is what it's turned into for people. And, you know, adults acting like uh, children, you know, and, and that is that is not an example that we need to set for people your age, Nikki. Yeah. I, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that my generation's looking at this and thinking, this is not how we want to act, to be honest. So I have hope for, for us, but we will see. Um, Mr. Lloyd, I know we talked about this in class the other day, but I know it feels like uh, this is probably the worst our country's ever been, <laughs> but you gave plenty of examples of other times that things have been awful. So could you just get, list a couple of those? Yeah, no, this is, things have been bad before. And that's, um, and we talked about today, the whole assignment was, uh, we going to be all right, um, from the great American poet, Kendrick Lamar. Um, uh, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but this is, um, th there's a number of things that we've gone through. We have actually gone through a full on armed insurrection. Okay. The American civil war, let's just start there. Okay. <laughs> we, we thought that, that, that we thought that that was both sides, South and North thought that that was gonna be wrapped up within a year and it being five years and more Americans dead than in any other conflict. Um, and, and that's, um, that's truly, truly horrible. Um, if we talk about like, if you think that this election was chaotic, um, you know, the, the one example, and actually Mr. Pearson sent me a link to it earlier this week, the, the election of um, 1876, um, which ended in a kind of like similar, this, the same constitutional issue that we had here that was three states challenged it, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. Um, and that ended up going to a committee to decide who the president was, a committee to decide who the president was, which ended um, Reconstruction in the South and led to about 80 years of Jim Crow. Um, which is, you know, another horrendous part of our path, uh, past the election of 1800 is my favorite to bring up because that was probably one of the dirtiest, um, like nasty, like they were, we, you, I've shown you some of the, the political cartoons. They are, they're horrible. They were horrible to each other. Um, but this is the thing that, and, and I, I had these words ringing in my head on Wednesday after that horrible election. Um, Thomas Jefferson gave um, his inaugural speech, which is still one of the greatest speeches to this day. And he said, we are all Federalists. We are all Republicans. Um, and, and that has been the tradition up until this year 
where afterwards we come together and we can um, conciliation and we, we move forward. Um, I, and I'm really hoping that after the events of Wednesday, I think that that is where the country is saying that we want to go. I, I'm hoping that that is the move that we're, we're, we're talking about. It's that, you know, we have to do things differently. I mean, those people went into those build that building and they didn't just threaten Democrats. Okay. They threatened anybody they thought was a traitor for following the rule of law. And that included Republicans who were in there. Okay. This isn't just, and you can't, like I said today, you cannot generalize and stereotype that those people that went into those, that building and did all that, that's what, that's all Republicans. They, they were targeting Republicans. The pipe bomb was outside yeah. of the, the national headquarters for Republican National Committee. And, and there was one in front of the DNC, too. But but the point is that both sides, you know, were targeted in there. Um, I think you have to realize, you know, that you can't generalize and, and blame people who are Republicans for this. Just the same way that you couldn't blame Democrats for some of the, you know, Things that happened in Portland and other cities early on, you know, there's just a bad group of people out there that take advantage of these situations to try to make them worse. That's nothing new. Okay. Um, the problem is the misinformation and the lies and the, the information that's just not true. And people have to be more savvy. They have to be a better educated about what's going on. And that's what our job as social studies teachers is, you know. And that's why I got into public education was to make sure that people became, you know, productive citizens in a democracy, not destructive citizens in a democracy. Yeah, that actually ties in my last point, which is, do you think this will get better? What other times in our history has there been divisiveness and it's gotten better? Well, I, I do think they just gave you two really good examples. Uh, yeah. For part of that question but but do things get better well that that's the thing is we're historians we like to study things that already happened uh sadly nobody can predict the future uh all you can do is hope uh that things do get better um in the in not just the immediate future but in the distant future and that you can take lessons from something like this and, and hope that people learn from it and ultimately i think what happened on wednesday was pretty bad but could have been much, much worse. So luckily, we're only talking about a few people on a fringe end of an extreme group uh, that were willing to go to those levels because if everybody there was willing to do what those few people did, it could have been much, much worse. Yeah. And, and I think that, the, the and you know, and Mr. Berkey said this too, I think that the, the story here, and a lot of people have been talking about this, ultimately they failed. They went there to try to disrupt things and to stop stop the process from going, and they failed. We the election is certified. Um, Lin, Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, who has been a close ally to President Trump, he was Joe Biden will be the president of the United States on January twentieth, and so ultimately, after all of this, we will have a peaceful transfer of power. Thank you again to Mr. Pearson, Mr. Lloyd, and Mr. Berkey for doing this. Very good words from all three teachers. Hope this provided some clarity to the situation and was reassuring that things will be okay. Thank you all for listening to this episode on the State of Our Union, and don't forget to join us next week for another episode of The Jaguar. Jaguar.